How about we get into God's word? Sound good? If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Exodus chapter 15. And as I mentioned, um, we've been studying the book of Exodus. We started in Exodus 1 and and, uh, we've worked our way up through last Sunday, uh, God's people crossing the Red Sea, God miraculously parting the waters and them coming across on dry land. And I pointed you to a documentary that, that talks about some of those things in terms of evidences for the Exodus being real and where Mount Sinai is. I'd encourage you, if you didn't get a chance to watch that, get on the website, go to wallacebible.com, search for last week's message, and you'll find a documentary on that page called The Mountain of Moses. And it'll, it'll encourage your faith. And so uh, we did that. Uh, and today they've crossed. And the first thing they did is when they saw God close the sea behind them and uh, destroy their enemy, the people rejoiced and they worshiped. And so today we see the song of worship that Moses writes in response to all that's happened. After today, we're gonna take a break from the book of Exodus for a while and we're gonna come back to it again sometime next year as God's people begin uh, their journey to the promised land through the wilderness. And so uh, let's begin. Um, let me just begin with this thought. Would you agree that our God is great? Yeah, we sang it, right? Did you sing that earlier? Our God is great and he's greatly to what? What's the psalmist write? He's greatly to be praised. Our God is great and he's greatly to be praised. But okay, so why? Why is he greatly to be praised? Why is he great? Why do we say that? Well, this morning in uh, this song of Moses, uh, we're gonna see three reasons why God is great, three reasons why he's greatly to be praised. Okay, so let's start reading. We're gonna read uh, starting in Exodus chapter 15 in verse one. And the first thing that we see here is he's greatly to be praised for what he has done, what he has done in the past. Uh, The text, let me read. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord. See, it says, then Moses and the people, this is like after they get across the Red Sea. Have you ever had a a big event in your life where, where you saw God's hand at work and you get done and you're just like, I can't help but just be excited and praise the Lord. Have you ever had that experience? Now, now imagine that times probably in my mind anyway of, of every time that I've seen God work and felt that in my spirit. Imagine that times uh, about a hundred when you're running from your life through the Red Sea and you've seen God just miraculously work. And then you turn around, you see Pharaoh's armies coming after you as well. But then all of a sudden, uh, Jesus closes the water up over them and he rescues you. And how quickly it happens, we're gonna see this morning in an instant, it's just over. It's incredible. And then calm. See, see, then after that, Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. In fact, I wonder, did Moses write it like when they got there? Had he, had he been writing this for a while and he's like waiting for the time to break it out? Like, I think this is the Sunday we're gonna sing that song. This is the week for that song. And here's what he writes. He says, uh, it says, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. Now, this is Hebrew poetry. In Hebrew poetry, you know, uh, our poetry, uh, sometimes it rhymes, right? Roses are red, violets are blue. Uh, I like tacos, how about you? Right? I mean, it kind of rhymes. Sometimes our poetry rhymes. Sometimes 
Um, it's, it's a metaphor, and there's all kinds of different language in it. But Hebrew poetry, it doesn't really rhyme. It doesn't necessarily follow a rhythm like our poetry does. But Hebrew poetry, the thing that often distinguishes it is it works in uh, what's called parallelism, or sometimes an inclusio is the word, to where it starts and ends with the same thing, or it states something, and then it comes back and it states the same thing in a little bit different way. For the Hebrew people, that w- that's what they consider poetry. That's how they wrote poetry. And this phrase both starts and ends our passage this morning. It starts in verse 1, saying, I'll sing to the Lord, he's triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, he's thrown into the sea. And then it says it again at the very end in verse 21, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, he is thrown into the sea. We're reading the lyrics to a song. We're reading poetry here in the middle of Exodus. Now, here's how it goes. Look at verse two as we keep going. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him, my father's God. I will exalt him. Do you know that that little phrase right there, the Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. It shows up on three special occasions in the Bible. The first time it shows up is right here. After they cross the Red Sea and the Red Sea closes up on Pharaoh's army behind them. And they're like, the Lord is my salvation, my song. Uh, He's become my salvation, right? And then it happens again, not only after they come out of Egypt, but as they come out of Babylon and they come back, if you know your Old Testament history, when they come back to Israel a few hundred years later after this. And then it's recorded a third time in Revelation after Jesus wins the battle. So these three times of deliverance, this is, this is a lyric of deliverance right here. He is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He's praising God for what he's done. It always, this phrase always comes up after just an incredible act of God's power to save his people. This is my God, I will praise him. My father is God, I will exalt him. And then it begins to describe the Lord describe as God. He says, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Do you think of God as a God of war? In other words, what he's saying is that that God is a God of power and of might, and he fights for his people. He fights for his glory. he's, He's father, right? Our God is father. He's a good dad. He fights for his family. He's a man of war. Now, uh, sometimes uh, people lean to a more pacifist mindset and they have a lot of trouble with this verse going, God is a God of war, but but he's also a God of peace, yes. But listen, in his power and in his might, he brings justice. He fights for what is right. The Lord is a warrior, the psalmist writes. He's He's a man of war and the Lord is his name. If you want a great example of this, you might look at Joshua chapter five. When in Joshua, uh, years after this, the people were finally making it into the promised land and uh, Moses' assistant, the leader who succeeded Moses, a guy named Joshua, he's leading God's people in and uh, they're getting ready to go take Jericho. And Joshua's out at night and all of a sudden he sees this guy on uh, out in the distance and it, it, he's described as this man of war with a sword in his hand and armor on. And uh, Joshua asks him, he says, are you, uh, are you for us or against us? 
And the guy that he sees says, uh, no, but I'm the host, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And then we, we learn that Joshua actually bows down and worships him, this messenger of the Lord. And the messenger, whoever this guy is in this suit with the sword, uh, just you know, ready for battle, he doesn't say, get up, I'm not God. No, he, he accepts his worship, why? Because that's Jesus Christ that Joshua sees right before he goes in to Israel and leads God's people to Jericho. Go read about it this week, the first part of Joshua. The Lord is a warrior and he fights for his people. He fights for his family. Verse four tells us, uh, the song goes on to tell us what's happened. By the way, you know, you know what's interesting is uh, throughout scripture, you see a lot of songs. And even throughout church history, there's a lot of singing. And you know, maybe you started coming to church and like, ah, I kind of, I like music. I don't know that I really like to sing. But, but God's people sing. And one of the reasons that God has given us music and, and allowed us to sing, do you know why? A lot of times it's to teach us things about who he is. Sometimes it's to express our emotion to him of, uh, about who he is and to praise him and worship him. Other times though, some of the songs we sing are actually meant to teach. And this is a song where people couldn't read. And so they're gonna sing this song uh, from generation to generation as a teaching thing. Not, not all of them had version on their iPhone to where they could go back and read about all this, but they, had, they sung this song and they learned it so that they would remember what God has done. It's the same with hymns. You know, that's how hymns originated early in the church. They were actually sung to popular songs that were sung in the bar. It'd be like if we wrote a, a song about, um, about Jesus and we put it to the tune of a Taylor Swift song so that you could remember it and kind of tap your foot to it. That's how hymns originated. And they originated that way so that people would learn the truth about God's word and the truth of theology and of good doctrine. And they knew that tune. And so then they, they put new words to it to remember the truth about who God is. That's, you thought your hymns were old. No, they were popular songs back in the day. They were sung in the bar with a lot different words. Anyway, I digress. Pharaoh's chariots, they're teaching here. He has, they have history in this song. Pharaoh's chariots and his host, he cast into the sea. God cast them into the sea. His chosen officers, Remember Pharaoh, had, he had choice chariots. It was like his special fighting force, his Navy SEALs. His, his uh, chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. Notice how many times here it mentions them sinking to the bottom of the sea in these first 10 verses. He's praising God for what he's done. Verse five, the floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. How's a stone sink? You ever throw a stone in the lake? It sinks quickly, doesn't it? And it's like when God won this battle and he threw him into the sea, like how quick was it over? Like a stone falling into the lake, just sploosh, that's it. Your right hand, O oh Lord. And then he starts to praise him for who he is as well uh, and what he's done. Your right hand, glorious in power, your right hand shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. Again, how does stubble burn? Quickly. God's victory is swift. It's just really not much of a battle. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods, they, they stood up in a heap. 
The deep's congealed in the heart of the sea. And the enemy said, I'll pursue, I'll overtake, I'll divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I'll draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Pharaoh was after God's people. He had hardened his heart, God had hardened his heart. And and he believed somehow that uh, he was going to win this battle. And so he sends in his best officers, his uh, entire army after God's people into the sea. And in that arrogant move, God totally destroyed him. Do you know you, you have an enemy after your soul too? That, that ultimately, uh, just like the Israelite people had an oppressor and someone who afflicted them in Pharaoh, that all of God's people, there's an oppressor, someone who's afflicting you and afflicting me and afflicting our church. And Satan is, and his host of demons, listen, this isn't like make-believe stuff. This is, this is a real thing. Like there is an oppressor who wants to see, one, if you've never trusted Jesus to keep you from ever crossing that line. And two, if you have trusted him to make your life as miserable as possible so that you don't ever go love and invite someone else to follow him with you. We have an oppressor, we have an enemy, but we have a God who is so much greater a God who is a man of war, who defeats his enemies and he does it. When he does it, it's like, it's not even a big deal. It's just like, that's it. The waters come crashing down and it seems huge to us, but ultimately to to God who is great and greatly to be praised. It's like such a small thing. And he wins the battle here. The enemy said, I will pursue, but look at verse 10, you blew with your wind and the sea covered them. It's like, God, you won and you just went like, and it was over. Isn't that incredible? Now mark that verse, because we're gonna come back to it a little bit later. Just keep your thumb there on verse 10. But he says, you blew with your wind, the sea covered them and they sank like lead again quickly in the mighty waters. See, God is great. He's greatly to be praised for all that he has done. The psalmist writes, you are, you are the God who works wonders. You've made known your might among the peoples. In Psalm 98, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Why, why do we always learn new songs? Because God's mercies are new every morning. He's always up to something new. He's a God of, of great power, of great might. He's greatly to be praised. There's always something new to sing to the Lord, to worship him and to praise him for. Blessed be the Lord, the psalmist writes in Psalm 72, the God of Israel who alone does wondrous things. Verse one, chapter 105, verse two, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. Do you, do you sing like that? How many of you, if you're honest, you sing the fight song of your favorite college louder than you sing on a Sunday morning? You know, you sing about a bunch of guys in tight pants and gold domes. Or, you know, along with the band with that giant drum, dong, dong. We got a drum. We can probably play it loud. Do you sing louder for that or do you sing louder here for the glory of God telling of the wondrous things he's done? Which is greater? 
I think we're all guilty of that, aren't we? In some ways, shape or form, of worshiping things that ultimately don't deserve the greatest worship and ignoring worshiping and singing with might to God. You know, one thing that might help you, uh, what, you know, we, we're, the psalmist here, or Moses here is, is praising God for what he's done. What has he done for you? One of the things that will, one of the things that will stir up praise in your heart is uh, to nurture gratitude and thankfulness in your heart for the things that he's done. Maybe this week you would just start to make a list of all the good things God has done for you. All the good things he's done. There's plenty. You're breathing, there's one. What else has he done for you? Uh, Maybe you would journal about it. Uh, Maybe you would praise him for it. You know, one one idea, have you ever heard of the five-minute journal? You're like, I don't journal. That's dumb, I don't do that. Well, here's five minutes. You got five minutes? Five-minute journal looks like this. In the morning, uh, you can buy this online too, or you can just create your own. Uh, But in the morning, you write down three things you're grateful for. This little journal has one page a day. And on the front page, it says, this morning, I'm grateful for one, two, three. Then after that, it'll say, uh, what would make today great? One, two, three, like thinking about your day. What, what could I do today that would make it a good day? Um, and then in the evening, you come back and you write down three things that happened today that you're grateful for. And I'm telling you, if you start to do that, I, I, I don't know. I have this feeling that if you would begin to do that and and praise the Lord for three things every day that he's done for you, thank him for three things in the morning as you start your day. I'll bet over the next few weeks, you'll be singing a little louder on Sunday morning. You'll begin to worship him and praise him with greater fervor out of of a thankfulness for what he's done. I'm telling you, this song, I guarantee it was sung loud. Loud. Like they were picking up you know, earplugs at the connect desk on their way in for this one. It was loud. Let's keep going. Because God is great and greatly to be praised, one, for what he has done, but also for who he is. Simply for who he is. Look at verse 11 through 13. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Notice that's a lowercase g, not really gods at all. Who is like you, O Lord? Who is like you that... And he goes on to describe him majestic in holiness. Holiness means separateness, totally other, without sin, perfect in every way, awesome in glorious deeds. I mean, they had just seen him part the Red Sea, close it behind them. They had seen the tent. I mean, they, listen, they knew God's glorious deeds. Again, what has he done for you? doing wonders. Moses goes on, he writes, and they sing, you know, you stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. See, uh, friends, God is the one who rescues us. Jesus is the one who rescued his people out of Egypt, and he's the one who rescues you and I from our sin and from all the ways that we're messed up, all the ways that we fail. Jesus alone rescues us. Just as he writes here, you alone, O Lord, you've you've led your people in your steadfast love. By your strength, you've guided them. I wonder, are, are you... 
being led uh, to love the Lord more and more uh, in your own strength or in his strength? In other words, are you just really trying, really hard, trying, trying, trying to be right? Or are you resting in God's power and his grace? Reveling in all the good things he's done for you. He's a good dad. He loves you. See, that's what stirs up a heart of praise. When you recognize all the good things he's done. Now, is there times for us to press through maybe how we feel and and do what's right, even though we don't feel like it because we know it's right? Absolutely. But ultimately, if that's the way you always live your life, where you're just always trying to do this and do this and make myself right, and I got to do more and I can't slow down, uh, you're going to burn out for Jesus, which makes you no good to him, number one. And number two, you're not relaxing and resting in his grace for his yoke is easy, his burden's light, but you're, you're participating in religion where you're trying to do all of these things to conjure up and earn God's favor. Rest in him. Listen to him, obey him, but rest. See, who is like him? Maybe you need to take some time this week with a notepad and your Bible and nothing else, turn off your phone, leave it at home or something and just sit down for a half hour and just start writing all the great things you know to be true about God. I guarantee if you start to do that or you just start reading through the Psalms, you start seeing the goodness of God, I'm telling you, that will stir up something within you where where you'll find it and know it to be true and the Holy Spirit will guide you in truth. Praise him for who he is. You know, uh, I can't help but think when when they're singing this about how God, how great he is, his, his wondrous deeds, his glorious and awesome power, how he closed the Red Sea over Pharaoh's army. Uh, do you remember another time where God has power over the water? How about when Jesus is in the boat with the disciples and he's uh, taking a nap because he's tired He's resting, kind of showing us maybe what we ought to do, take a nap this afternoon. And he's resting, and then all of a sudden the the waves come up, things get crazy, and all of his disciples freak out, right? And they wake him up, Jesus, don't you care? Where are you? Why why don't you care? And they wake him up, and what's he get up and do? He gets up, I guess he kind of rubs his eyes a little bit. He looks out on the lake of Galilee, and he says what? Be still. And then what happens? Like, I, I want to see that on video, you know, when we get to heaven. Like, does the, like the water just, just still. All the boats still rocking, just still. And my guess is that there's stillness and quiet all across the lake for a moment. And then look at what one of the disciples say. First, he turns to them and says, where's your faith? They're afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, one another, who is this? He, he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. I have a feeling it probably didn't take them too long to connect the dots. Maybe they even started singing the song of Moses to themselves, remembering what God had done in parting the Red Sea. Well, who is this? This is God. This is God. He's in control. He's in charge. They, they, 
can praise him for who he is. Isaiah 6, 3, uh, the, the, in the throne room, when Isaiah gets a glimpse of Jesus and his glory, uh, the cherubim one called to another saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We read about it again in Revelation chapter four, verse eight. Have you taken time recently just to praise God for who he is? Not only for what he's done, but for who he is. That he's patient with you. He's patient with me. He's gracious, he's good, he's loving, he's powerful. He's in control even when my life seems out of control. He's greatly to be praised for what he's done and for who he is and for what he will do. Look at verse 14. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Felicia. That's where they're going. They're going to the promised land. And what we're told here is that uh, the people in the place where God's people are ultimately heading have heard about this. They've heard about what God has done. And you find out decades later when they finally do enter the promised land, when the spies get to Jericho and they, they visit the house of this woman named Rahab and she hides them. And Rahab's like, listen, you're God's people. We've heard about this, God, how he parted the Red Sea 40, 50 years ago, whatever it had been at that point. They trembled. They were, they were so afraid in the moment. Peoples have heard, they tremble. Verse 15, now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. That's the route to the promised land. That's where they're going. They know we're coming. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. Another, another stop along the way. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. This is really pretty incredible. They sung this song uh, so that they would remember these things. God gave it to them through Moses. And yet when they get there, when it gets to the point here a little later, we'll see this next year when we come back to the text and it's time to go into the promised land, they're afraid to go. Yet the people that they were going in to conquer, they're the ones who are truly afraid of them. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. There was great faith in this moment that God was going to continue his rescue and take them to the promised land. Like the people were just gonna be still and not cause any ruckus while we just walk by. Verse 17, uh, by the way, it reminds me of another Psalm, right? Uh, when, when we worship others, we'll see and fear and know that you are the Lord. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. He's to be praised uh, for what he's done, for who he is and for what he will do. People were afraid because of what God had done. They knew of his power and they knew then that he was going to continue to do these things, rescuing his people. 
And so he's to be greatly praised for not only what he has done, but looking at the past, trusting him for the future, for what he'll continue to do. Do you know, uh, there's a very similar event to the crossing of the Red Sea that takes place uh, in Revelation. In the end, in the future, what God will do. Look at Revelation chapter 19, verse 21. And by the way, so when the Red Sea is parted, we read that God with an east wind, he, he blew this east wind that separated the sea for them to cross on dry ground. And as we just read in chapter 15 here in verse 10 of Moses' song, that it was with his breath, you blew with your wind, it says, that, that God just, he just blew his wind. Well, look at Revelation chapter 19. In Revelation chapter 19, we get a description of Jesus in his glory in the end. And he, he comes back on a white horse and it says that there's a sword that comes. Do you remember where it comes from? From his mouth is the description. It's apocalyptic language. It's descriptive. And as saying there's a sword from his mouth, in other words, well, what comes from your mouth? Words, breath, right? That from, from his mouth, Here's what we read then in Revelation 19, 21, and this, this final battle. The rest, those who had opposed uh, God's lamb, Jesus himself, and, and uh, the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. In other words, they were slain with the sword that came out of the mouth of Jesus, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Here's what I think this is saying. When Jesus returns... Like there's going to be a big battle, but it's going to be just like with Pharaoh. They're just going to sink like stones into the ocean. It's just going to be over like that. And in fact, Jesus is going to win the battle. How? With the sword that comes from his mouth. How's that? With a word. And it's over. Martin Luther wrote a hymn about this passage. And he said, uh, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he, amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing, right? And he goes, our, our, um, he talks about Satan. He says, we tremble not for him. For lo, his doom is sure. He says, and, and with one little word, one word will fell him. One word. Jesus just, and it's over. And we get a foretaste of that here in the Exodus where just he parts the Red Sea and then he lets it come back on him, on the enemy. They sink like a stone. It's over. Our God is great and greatly to be praised for what he's done, for who he is, for what he will do. Now we read the rest of this song starting in verse 19 for when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, it says the Lord, describing all this, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Those who've trusted Jesus Christ will be spared and will be saved. Then Miriam, the prophetess, sister of Aaron, and also the sister of Moses, took a tambourine in her hand. And the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And she went and she, she taught everybody the song. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, he is thrown into the sea. 
What's curious is when you get to uh, Revelation chapter 15, it says that uh, those who are there witnessing who Jesus Christ is and his glory and all that he's doing to finish and finally redeem his people, it says in chapter 15, verse 3, that they sang the song of Moses. Remembering God's power then, knowing his power for the future, all because of who he is. I, I just, as we close, this is a great song of praise. And maybe, maybe this week and over the next few weeks, over the rest of the summer even, you would begin to remember all the things God has done for you. Maybe you would write your own song. Uh, praising him for all of his goodness, all of his power, all of his rescue in your life. And, and maybe you would praise him too, not only for what he's done, but for who he is, his faithfulness, his majesty, his holiness, his power. And then looking at those two things, no matter what you face, I don't know what your week was like. I don't know what's coming at you this week or next week or next month or next year, but knowing all those things, now you can trust him and praise him in the face of anything for what he will do. He's good, loved ones. He's greatly to be praised. Now, one last thing. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, he's good to you. He's gracious to you in a general sense that he gives you life and he's patient with you. But if you really want to know his goodness, you need to trust him. You need to turn from your sin and repent. You know that there were some of the Egyptians that when God's Egyptians, when God's people were leaving, they actually joined them. They repented and some of them joined them in the Exodus we read about. It's never too late for you. You've been going through all the motions, maybe just coming to church or maybe you're here for the first time today and you've, you've never put your true faith and trust in Jesus. What's the holdup? He loves you, he's good, he's mighty and great and greatly to be praised. Turn from your sin, turn to Jesus. The Bible calls that repentance, to turn. And, and we're told in Romans that any who would believe in their heart that Jesus is God and that he raised him from the dead and confess those things with their mouth, they will be saved. It has nothing to do with you. It's all his steadfast love and grace. Trust it. Let me pray. We're gonna sing about God's goodness and call it a morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, uh, Jesus. You are the one, Jude wrote in verse five, you are the one who led your people out of Egypt to freedom. And you're the one who also leads us to freedom. And you're the one who one day will return and secure our freedom forever. but you're also the one who judges sin. You're also the one who is a mighty warrior who fights for justice and fights for his glory and his honor and, and his family for us. So Jesus, would you, um, maybe this morning, uh, any who would hear my voice, who haven't trusted them, would you bring them into your family? And if that's you, it's very simple. It's simply believing in your heart, you need a savior, confessing that to Jesus and trusting him. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus and your great grace, your goodness to us. It's in his name we pray.